morning, church. Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning, and I, I just want to say that you're welcome for the extra 15 minutes to wake up and get situated. That was a, a gift I just discerned that I, I should give you this morning. I don't know. Thank you for being gracious with me. Uh, that was a really tight uh, transition between NDG and downtown, and, and we learn, and we're in new context. And um, so getting into the, 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 what we're going to be talking about today, Proverbs 18, 21, the power of words. And the first thing I want to say is that words reveal. That's it, period. So what are your words revealing about what's in your heart? and your intention, and the desire, and um, what is the power behind your words? Uh, I don't know if all of you know this, but I'm from Ontario. I'm also Evan's brother, so we're both from Ontario, uh, and it's strange how that happened. And we did not learn French when we were being homeschooled. (laughs) And I'm not going to speak for Evan, but I was very illiterate uh, in French. And when I met my wife at Bible school, she's from Quebec, and she wasn't my wife yet at that time. And uh, I, she said bonjour, and I didn't know like what that meant, which I'm just so you know, like that's the, that's the foundation I had, no, nothing. <laughs> just a grassy field. And so as we got to know each other, as I discerned God calling me to Quebec, I was like, I have to learn French probably. And so I went to this place called Perle de Vie in Sherbrooke, where they have a Bible school and a language school there. And so just to give you a bit of context, and what did I do there? I spoke as little as I could in French. And the reason I spoke as little as I could was because I was aware of my incompetency in the language. And so the more I spoke, the more mistakes I would make. Uh, the more errors I would, I would just make in, in the language. And so I remember the first sentence I ever spoke in French. Uh, and it was just like this perfect situation where it's like, oh, this is my moment. I have all the words. I have the vocabulary. It's so simple. And I was in the cafeteria. We were getting food. And there was a French uh, student in the Bible school in front of me. And so, like I said before, it was a language school, Bible, uh, Bible school. And so this uh, Quebecois guy, had I had not really talked to him because he was very French. He didn't speak much English at all. Uh, so I was behind him in line. It had been like two and a half months, and we'd never spoken to each other. And he knew I was in the language school. And the meal was like fish and rice. And he declined the fish and took like a plate full of rice. And so I'm like, I know how to say fish. And I, I know how to say, do you, you don't like. So I said, tu n'aimes pas la poisson, which means like you don't like fish. And he looks at me and he says, tu parles français, you speak French. You speak French, it's amazing. And I'm there and I'm like, don't say anything else. <laughs> Merci. Yes. <laughs> and I knew that if I had said anything else, it would have been so clear to him that I don't speak French. And it would have just this fluke moment that I had all the right words in that right situation. And uh, I share this story today because as we look in Proverbs, it's calling us to weigh our words. When we're, we're speaking in error, uh, when is that error impacting others in a way that is is like bringing death to them okay so we're really light and light-hearted to very heavy right away i can feel it in the room and so i i just want to add to that that there's there's times in learning french that like i was like if i just go in this store 
and I don't say anything, they'll probably think I'm a Quebecer. You know, I, I'll wear my shirt with flowers on it, and I'll a couple buttons, and I'll just look like a Montreal Quebecer, and, and then I'll, and that'll be the case. But then when you open your mouth, when I open my mouth to be like, oh, they asked me a question. Okay, I'm going to pay with cash or whatever. Uh, then they'd be like, oh, man, he's got an accent, so I'll just, I'll just speak to him in English because I know that he, he doesn't know how to speak French. And that's the thing. When you speak, you reveal what's inside. So I'm using this contrast of language, but we're going to shift to just the weight of our words and how our, our words reveal what's going on inside. What, what are you revealing when you're opening your mouth? What's coming out? Uh, the, your words have power. So how is that power being used? And, and, and it's just, know this. Your words are important, okay? Uh, they're in the Bible, they're, uh, well, specifically Proverbs. We're in the, the, the book of Proverbs, this wisdom literature. Uh, and it, there's 90 Proverbs that talk about your words. And, it, and it's, it's important. Your words are important. They matter. And so here's the question for you. Like, I think you know that words matter, but just think about this. How many of you have been cut by words? Have you, how many of you have been wounded by words of others? How many people have you cut or wounded with your words? How many of you have been encouraged and built up by words? In the church, we believe that the Spirit works in a way uh, that we have words of encouragement. That are just, it's just not normal in the world. Uh, in the world, it's, it's flattery. In the world, it's, it's for other reasons, but the, the Holy Spirit gives us words of encouragement to speak to each other uh, at very appropriate times. So how many of you have been encouraged? And how many of you have like said something and you wished you could be like, come back into my mouth and go back and, and let me let Jesus address that, that thing I was saying? Like, How many of you have said words that you wish that you could just take back? And it's too late. They're, they're, they've been spoken and then they will reveal their power. They'll reveal what was in your heart and your intention when you were speaking them. And the Bible says that you're responsible for your words. You are responsible for your words. Uh, and it says that the Bible is leading us to, to the truth of who Jesus is, the gospel, the good news. Uh, and then it says that we are to glorify God with our body. And Proverbs says, glorifying God with your body starts with your mouth. This verse for today, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat of its fruit. So I want to pray that my words will be bringing life today. So let's just pray again as we get into this. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that your word speaks life. And I pray that this morning, the words that I speak would be words of life, uh, and that the, the power behind them would be the truth of, of who you are, and the work of Jesus, and who we can be because of that. And so I pray these things uh, in the only name that I can pray them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get into this topic of words, revealing uh, why they're being said, that, and words revealing the power behind them, I wanted to look in Scripture at the first words that we can find. And so the first words we find in Scripture, the first words spoken were, let there be light. Now, this illustration it doesn't work quite as well here. But look through that little crack up there and, and imagine like when you're going to leave today, what are you going to see outside? Are you, there's this big thing. You, 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 do you see light? That's, I'm going to be clear. Do you see light through that crack? Do you see light outside? 
What does that tell us about the speaker of these words? That he had the power to accomplish what he intended with those words. And so there's power in the words of God when he said, let there be light. And then uh, there were words, so that's words of creation. And then there were words of naming creation. Uh, What do you call it when the sun is in the sky and when the sun's not in the sky? What are those two things? Kids can answer too if the adults are having trouble. I feel like Evan is going to answer. Day and night. You are so good. Those 15 minutes really paid off. And so day and night. So God speaks to create, to bring things into create, uh, in existence, into existence. And then he speaks to name. And that happens six times in that pattern. And then we see a new type of word. God speaks a word of command and a word of result. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat. You shall surely die. So up until this point, the words that have been spoken were for creation, for naming creation, and now we have words of command and result. And the, the point here is that these words are still not, bring, they're not bringing death. They're saying that there's the consequence of not listening to these words is death. And so uh, God, ha- up until this point, that he's proved he has the power to accomplish what he says with his words. He's proved that he has the intentionality to name what he's creating. And now he's showing that he, we're, we're, we're seeing that he's giving words of co- uh, command. And then we meet a new speaker. And this speaker comes into the scene, and we're going to see a lot about the intention of this speaker. Uh, but this speaker starts to question God, question his words, question whatever you really want. And so uh, this speaker comes in and says, did God actually say, did he really say that? Did he say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Or you shall, yeah. Um, Did he say you'll surely die? He's asking all these questions. uh, And he says, for God knows that when you eat of the the tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. This speaker comes into the scene uh, and up until now, we know that the words that were being spoken by God, the power in those words was for life. Okay? And we experience that today. We experience we are alive. If we're here and listening to this this morning, we see life in God's creation as we come out of winter. Uh, it's a special thing to rejoice in, in our um, area of the world. Uh, we come out of winter, we see new life. But now we see a new speaker and his words the power behind them are de- is death. The intent behind it is death. It, um, it was very hidden. It was veiled. But John uh, 8, 44 states that this speaker, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. So when, it, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a, fa- a liar and the father of lies. So the devil is deceiving and the, when he's speaking, he's revealing uh, his desired intent, which is uh, to bring death. And then what happens? So we've, we've seen words of life that are bringing creation, words naming creation, uh, command, result. Then we've seen words of lies that are bringing death. And then we see Adam and Eve speak. And I'm just skipping over like, okay, God created Eve. Adam wrote a poem. So he, he was very poetic when he saw the first woman. Okay, now <laughs> Adam and Eve are speaking again, and they're speaking to justify themselves. They're, they're, they're blaming each other. They want to prove themselves innocent. So now 
we see words being used to bring self-justification. Okay, so it's important we'll get into this later. Uh, and this is just building the foundation of understanding the power behind words. And, and then God speaks again. And now his words of consequence are becoming a reality. Because of disobeying, humans will return to the ground. So the result of disobeying God is death. And that is what happens right away in this creation account. Um, the words of warning of death are now words of consequence of death. But God also weaves that together with words of life. There's, his words are still to bring life. And in the midst of this consequence, this punishment, uh, he, he's speaking to the serpent, to the devil, um, and he says that one of Eve, Eve's offsprings will overcome Satan, will overcome the devil. And of her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in the church, we believe that that is, um, is showing us the work of Jesus to come. And so it's a promise from the very moment that the consequence of sin brought death, there was a promise of life woven right in with that. So what are the power? What is the power behind words? The power behind words is life and death. And the proverb that we have today is that those who love it will eat of its fruit. So what fruit of words are you desiring to eat? De words of death, words of life. Now, we know that the, the Bible teaches the consequence of that disobedience was, was death. We're separated from God. We're in, our, we're in sin, in a broken relationship from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned. And basically, without that promise of God to bring life, we're, we're pretty much doomed. You can't do anything. You can't justify yourself. And then we meet Jesus. The word, which is the Bible says Jesus the, is the word, and we're also going to see how his words were used in this. And so the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is the Word that comes into the world, and we see him as the only person who is able to control his tongue. Which, what does James say that that means? If someone's able to control their tongue, they're a perfect man. And Jesus was the only one who could control his speech. And so he did what the first parents, Adam and Eve, could not do. He lived perfectly. He, does, he did what we can't do, is to live perfectly. And this, this, James makes a bold statement that if you're able to control your tongue, you, you don't sin. So it's just this evidence that the tongue reveals the heart. Okay? The heart is where the sin is formed, evil is, is, is kind of cultivated, but the tongue reveals, and Jesus had no sin. And so Jesus, his life, brings the fulfillment of this promise in, this, in the creation account that God said he would, he would still bring life. There's consequence of disobedience, that's death, but there's a promise of life. And so Jesus comes and he overcomes the devil. And God, we see he has kept his word to creation. And in the meantime, Satan, the devil, has been proved to be just who he is, a liar. That his words are empty, that his words bring death, and his words are, are, are just a false truth. They make us doubt the real truth, and, it's, and it ends up leading us to death. And so 
Jesus, he came, and in his life, his work, and we celebrate this every Sunday. Every time we come together, every time you're speaking with someone, you can celebrate the work of Jesus, that Jesus came to remove the punishment for sin. He came to remove uh, guilt, shame, the stain of sin, and he came to forgive and to make you new, to restore you into a relationship with God and to enable you to speak words of life which means that your heart cha- has been changed. His words reveal what's inside. And so if your words are speaking life, it means that inside you've been made new and you have life. And so Jesus comes and his words show his intent is to bring this new life. And in the meantime, we see the serpent and the devil. And he, he is actively saying, look for any other thing in, you can come up with except for Jesus, Okay. I'll, whatever you like, I'll make a promise. It can be a substitute, but it falls short, and it's a lie. And especially when we, we talk about the cross, Satan does not want you to look at the cross and understand its significance. Okay? Because he knows what happened on the cross. He knows the words of Jesus on the cross. So he'll do anything for you to forget it or to never look at it in the first place. And if you're here today and you've not looked at the cross in the, in the sense of its significance, I'd ask you to engage with that and, and know that the work of Jesus was for you. His death on the cross was to take the punishment you deserve for your wrongdoing and that you can be made new in his resurrection in his life he can give you life forgiveness for sin and you can be restored to god that is what the cross represents if you've never received that i didn't invite you to engage with that today because on the cross when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head his work was finished meaning it was accomplished you can be restored. You can be forgiven. You can be given life. Jesus is bruising the head of Satan in this moment and removing his power because this power of life and the work of Jesus cuts through lies. And then not only does Jesus die so he can be restored to, to God and be forgiven, he sends his spirit and you want his spirit. You want that in your life. He, he says to his disciples, uh, and he breathed on him, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> for these notes that I'm working through, Dwight helped me uh, with sharing some of his notes. And like, he loves concerts. He, he always has references to bands and stuff like that. I'm not as cool as Dwight. But he said that if Jesus had stayed, he could have done like this world tour. And you could, everyone had been going crazy to see Jesus after the resurrection. But he left. And why did he leave? It's because he promised that he would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would be so much better than if he stayed. And so what happens when Jesus sends his Spirit? Let's look at Acts 2, uh, 3 through 4. And I'll read it for you, but if you'd like to read with me, you can. Acts 2, 3 through 4. And suddenly there came from the heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were uh, sitting. And divided tongues as fire 
appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When Jesus sends his Spirit to those who have received the work that he has done on the cross, the work that he has accomplished on the cross, when you're able to see through the lies of the serpent, the enemy, who's saying, don't look at the cross. Look at this thing. Look at your morality. Look at philosophy. And you're going to find a different way that substitutes that. You really don't need that. It's not relevant for today. But when you can look through those lies and you see the cross, Jesus gives his spirit. And what happens when believers' tongues are touched by God? They speak words of life. And these first disciples were speaking in tongues. And those words that they were speaking were heard by others. And they went forward into the world with words of truth and life that have continued to today. The fact that we're preaching the gospel today is because of tongues touched by Jesus, and uh, by his Holy Spirit, to bring words of truth and life through all generations. And you know what happens when you hear words of life? The power behind the words is life is that people believe. People believe those words. And the power of them is life. And so we're focusing on words today because it is so important. It is so important to to take a moment to stop and think about what you're saying. Uh, And in Church 21, if you've been here for over like an extended period of time, you've probably heard the phrase that we use, speak the truth in love. Okay? Speak the truth in love. And how many of us have heard that with like a wrong application? I'm going to speak the truth in love to you, brother. Uh, and, and then it's just something like really mean. <laughs> and you're like, but I'm speaking the truth in love because I, I got to say how it is. And it's just a misunderstanding of what this verse is saying. That the truth in love is truth of Jesus. So speak the truth in love means speak the gospel. Okay? So we have a command to speak the gospel to one another. And then what is the fruit of that? If you'd like to go uh, later on, uh, just read Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Uh, speak the truth in love is Ephesians 4.15, uh, verses 20 through 25. It says that you are a new creation. You are, the new you is going to speak in a way that the old you didn't speak. It's gonna, you're going to speak words of life, words that are have the gospel woven into them. And I, I do want to read verse 29, where it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Are your words grace to those who hear? Are they words of life? So God, he wants to give you this life. It's been evident since the, the, the very beginning and the creation account and the fall. God wants to give you life. And then what we see through the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit is that not only are you given life, but you're given words of life to give to others. And so Proverbs is giving us the wisdom as to how to do that. And so what do your words reveal about you? What power do they hold? You know, we speak a lot of words every day. I was trying to find an accurate number, but I couldn't. So it's between 2,000 and 20,000 words. And you know who you are, okay? (laughs) 
2,000, 20,000 words. And my question is, how many of those words are being weighed? How many of those words are intentionally or rashly bringing destruction to others or yourself and cutting others or yourself with words? How many of those words are being used to encourage, to build up, to heal, to bring life to others and yourself? Here's the point. Out of all the words that you speak in a day, how many are worth speaking? Mm. <laughs> I keep saying words reveal, and this is why, because words always start in the heart. Um, Matthew says that either, uh, either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And so you can't put good fruit on a dead tree. It'll, it'll look good maybe, but it has rotten motivation. You can't put you shouldn't be able to put bad fruit on a good tree. But here's the thing. Sometimes it happens. And I'll use this illustration. This probably doesn't happen in Montreal as much. But in like the suburbs, people decorate trees in their front lawns with like Christmas decorations. Like really big ribbons and like really big Christmas ornaments. And you're like, oh, that's nice. And then after like a week or, and it gets forgotten throughout all of January. And like the snowplows are throwing like salt on it and it's like corroding and rotting, and it starts to fall off, and you're like, that is wrong. There's just something not nice about that. And is this happening with us? With our words, we say that we have been made right through Jesus, through the cross. We know that the Holy Spirit has been given, is giving us words of life, but the words coming in your mouth are just wrong. It's just not supposed to look like that when you speak, because though it's not lining up. There's words that are coming in your mouth that are like rotting fruit. But you're saying that you've been given new life. And so this is why we have to stop and, and ask ourselves and weigh, ask ourselves what we're saying and why we're saying it and weigh our words. Because only the word, only Jesus can make you new. And only through the Holy Spirit can you be speaking words of life. And so, again, I ask the question, have you been made alive in Jesus? If you, keep con- if you continue to explore the church, you're going to keep getting asked that question. So I'd invite you to engage with it today. <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I am alive in Jesus, then what fruit are you known for? Uh, what free- fruit is, is being displayed on your tree through the, your speech? And so a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. That's Proverbs 16, 27 through 29. It's in the heart that plotting evil starts. Okay, but you in Jesus have been given a new life, given, given new life, a new heart. So if your heart is plotting evil, you have to stop it from doing that. You, do not indulge with that. That is the flesh. And when the heart plots evil, it gives birth to speech. And evil plotted in the heart that gives birth to speech is like a scorching fire. So what is that scorching fire? It's lies, profanity, slander, gossip, speaking rashly, speaking uselessly, complaining, judging, being boastful, being cruel, speaking in sexually suggestive ways, uh, speaking to flatter others, uh, speaking evil, speaking insult, speaking in vulgar ways, uh, speaking perversely, uh, and even at times 
failure to speak. Now, I'm going to highlight a couple of things here with you. And I know that I'm not living everyday life with you, so I'm not making a specific rebuke. But if you receive it as a specific rebuke, I'd invite you to engage with that. Uh, one of these uh, words here says, a whisper separates close friends. Do you use your words in a way uh, to, to gossip? Or even when you, you fail to stop someone else from gossiping, and you might be like, ooh, tell me more. Okay? We know from what the Scripture is saying that that is a heart that's plying evil. What fruit is gossip bringing other than destruction and death? What about uh, speaking in a very critical manner? I'd invite you to stop and ask yourself, why am I being so critical about it? About whatever it is. <laughs> why am I so critical? Is it anger in your heart? The heart is, you're allowing your heart to be like a greenhouse for anger, and the fruit of your words is, is, that, is that critical tongue that's bringing death discouraging people, putting them down. Why didn't you do this this way? Why can't you be this way? What if you're speaking those words to yourself? Why aren't you the way you should be? You're cutting yourself down. You're bringing words of death and destruction on yourself and others. And you know what <clears throat> Proverbs says? It says, fools aren't interested in understanding. So if you are not interested in asking yourself, why am I speaking like this? You are a fool. You know what Stephen says about sharing your opinion too freely? It's like onions and it stinks and just don't put onions in people's faces. <laughs> Slow down and ask yourself, why are you speaking the way you're speaking? And <clears throat> another question, so are you speaking in a way uh, that brings destruction on others or yourself? And are, are you speaking in a way that is for your self-preservation, self-justification? Just like Adam and Eve Right away, after they sinned against God, they disobeyed God, they started to blame each other. It wasn't me, it was her. It, was her. it wasn't her, it, was, it wasn't, anyways, you get it. Um, are we speaking to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others? I'm not as bad as them because, or I'm not as poor in spirit because, or I'm not as poor financially because. You know what the Bible says about comparing like that? You're mocking God. You're mocking God when you're comparing like that. Because if you are in a place walking with Jesus, the only reason that you're there is because of Jesus, not yourself. You didn't earn it. And you know who Jesus came to serve? The poor. So if you're trying to elevate yourself above the poor, what are you doing? What is your reasoning behind that? Jesus desperately loves the poor. The poor, uh, those who are poor physically, financially, and spiritually. And he was directly drawn in, in his ministry to those who are generally rejected and repulsed. Uh, the culture is repulsed by these kind of people. And so if you're trying to separate yourself from the people that Jesus came to serve, you are mocking God. Speech, your speech, your actions always have consequence. This, listen to this. Have you heard this proverb before? Proverbs 18, 6-7. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I can just hear Stephen, like, from Texas. You looking for a beating, son? <laughs> I'm sure he said that. Um, 
His mouth invites beating. A fool, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And you will be judged by your words. Your words have consequences right away in bringing destruction on others, uh, if this is how you're speaking, but it also in the life to come. And Matthew says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they have spoken. So I hope that right now you're sitting here and I hope you've been engaged with what we're saying so far. And I hope you're asking, okay, Trenton, please tell me you have a five-point response to how to speak properly. And I'm going to tell you that that is not your answer. Okay? Here is me speaking the truth in love to you this morning. You cannot do it. You cannot control your tongue. You cannot. Do you hear me? You don't believe me. I can tell some of you don't believe me. You cannot control your tongue. James says, no human being can tame the tongue. So unless you are not a human being, you cannot control your tongue. And that is good news for you today. Receive it. That's good news. I can't control my tongue. Say it. Internalize it. This is an encouragement to you. You cannot do it, but Jesus gives you the spirit who can control your tongue, who can bridle your tongue and guide you in the way that you speak. In Jesus, you walk in the spirit. And what is the fruit of your words and of your actions? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Wow. That's good news. I really want the Spirit to speak through me in that way. And let me tell you, when I was younger, not super young, like when I was a teenager, I used to work at a camp. <clears throat> and uh, there, there'd be like a really cool dynamic with the staff. And some of the guys were in Bible school. Some of the guys were still in high school. And one, one day I was working with this, this guy uh, who was in like Moody Bible Institute. So I looked up to him and I was like, oh, he's so wise. And... Um, he said to me, Trenton, you have no tact in the way you speak. And I was like, whoa. And let me tell you, it was, it was in an appropriate context. He wasn't speaking in a way to make a fool of me in front of others and to elevate himself by making that comparison. He spoke to me privately. He said, you have no tact in the way that you speak. He's like, listen, Trenton, there's most people I don't know, I'm not going to contribute it to being homeschooled, but it could be aggravated by that. <laughs> Most people have this red flag. It's like, Whoop, don't say that thing. And they're like, are you sure? Don't say that thing. And they're like, okay, I'm not going to say that thing. It's like, Trenton, you don't even have the red flag. You don't have it. You have no tact. And he was straight to the point. I, I appreciated the way he, he was loving and and lighthearted in the way he was speaking to me. And he spoke in a way that was gracious. And by God's grace, I received it. And now I see today that when you are, have been made new in Jesus, been given his spirit, you not only have a little red flag that says, don't say that thing, you have the ability 
to speak words that are covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, rich with the sweet beauty of the gospel. So this is the question. Are your words covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, sweet with the rich beauty of the gospel? Now, I will give you five ways to question and evaluate the words you're speaking. Why do I speak? That's the first question. Why am I speaking? Is it speaking to serve the Lord and to serve others? Or is it speaking to serve yourself and to elevate yourself, to make, to make yourself um, look greater in some way? And if, if the way that you're speaking, if, if, if the reason you're speaking is for yourself, you need to stop. Uh, there's a comedian that I enjoy that says, nobody likes a me monster. There's these people that are in these social contexts and they're like, listening, listening, yes, tell me, now it's about me. Let me talk about me. And then it's just like, he just goes on and on, this person or this, these individuals, and it's like, take over everything, make it all about me. Is that, is that what Jesus is walking us into? Is that what the work of Jesus was to accomplish? That in our new life, now the world revolves around us? Or is that anti-gospel? What does our life revolve around once we have been given new life in Jesus? It's about Jesus, it's not about you. That's for sure. So if you are a me monster, shut up. Okay? You might be offended by the, me saying shut up. So in French, they say fermer la bouche. Okay? And it's a little bit more polite. It says close your mouth. Okay? So if you're a me monster, close your mouth. No, you don't say that. (laughs) And take your words to the Lord. Ask him to recalibrate your heart because something's off. If you still think the world revolves around you, you have a misunderstanding of the gospel. Take your words to the Lord and ask for him to guide your words so they're about him and for the serving of others. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts the Lord, Proverbs 16, 20. So that's the first point is, why do I speak? The second point is, what do I say? What are your words intended to, to, what is the intended fruit of your words? Are your words bringing the good news of the gospel or are you bringing morality to people? Because morality, I'll tell you, is, it is like death. We We cannot be good enough. And that is what the Bible says. So your words are to point people back to the good news of the gospel. Words that bring life, and that is what the gospel is. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to Imagine every time you spoke to someone, that was their experience. It's like you just poured honey over me and my soul is like feeling really sweet and I don't know how to articulate it. But what, why do you speak like that? And so the gospel is sweet because it takes us to Jesus and we need Jesus. And the gospel reminds us of our need of Jesus when we forget. Because we forget. And, uh, and you can think like, okay, am I going to talk about the gospel in every context? Is like going to be like this weird thing, like oh, that's just the person that talks about the gospel. And it's 
when the gospel is the, the fruit and life of your speech, it's not weird. It's just your reality. And the question is, why not? Why does that person talk like that? It's what does that person have that I don't have? What understanding of life in Jesus do they have that I'm not understanding? And have you ever heard that <clears throat> Apple campaign where they've like the first iPhone, they said there's an app for that? Nobody heard that? There's an app for that. You've heard that. Okay, let me tell you. When smartphones first came out, it was Apple, and then there was never an app for anything before, and they said there's an app for that because the phone could do everything. There is a gospel application for that. You might not believe it, but it's like everything you are living, the gospel speaks to. Everything. And if you don't believe me, stop talking and ask the Lord to show you how the gospel applies to everything that you're living and everything you're saying. Your words can feed, literally feed people with the good news of the gospel. Your words can be sweet, dripping with the sweet nectar of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you want that? Do you want that? The next question is, when do I say it? When do I say the thing that I maybe want to say? And the answer to that question is maybe never. Maybe you'll go to God and you'll be like, well, good thing I held my tongue there and asked God because definitely you should never say that. <laughs> but what if it's a word of rebuke? Well, there is a place and a season and a time where even a word of rebuke can be sweet. My, that my friend and mentor that told me, Trenton, you have no tact. You have no red flag. Those words were words of grace to me. It's changed the way I interact with others. So your words of rebuke can be words bringing life to people. But there is the question of when. And the, the, the next question is, what happens if I don't say anything? I'll just never say a thing ever again. And I'll be, I'll be like, perfect. I've hacked the system. There's people that have tried that. And <clears throat> Proverbs 16.23 says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. The wise persuade others away from death. So you cannot go without speaking because there are people in our world that are, in, are inclined to run towards death. And there are times where our brothers and sisters in Christ are inclined to run towards death because we forget that sweet truth of the gospel and you have been given the power through the Holy Spirit to speak in a way that brings people back into that life. And uh, <clears throat> Jeff Vanderstelt says, I'm an unbeliever and so are you. And I was like, I am not an unbeliever. How dare you say that? But the truth in his words is that there are areas where we start to believe the lies of the serpent of the devil and we start to forget the truth of the gospel. Become an unbeliever in that area of your life. So we speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We speak the truth of the gospel to those who are not believing the truth in all of their life or in a specific area of their life. And that is a display of mercy. Jude 1.23 says, we save others by literally snatching them out of fire when we speak the gospel, when we speak words of life to them. And the last point is, what happens if I follow the Spirit? 
Well, Proverbs 10, uh, a couple of verses from Proverbs 10 says, the mouth, of a righteous, uh, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, and the lips of the righteous feed many. So what happens if you allow Jesus to like, bridle your tongue? That's a, like, I don't know if anyone knows horses, and I don't know much, but it's like literally putting the bite in the mouth and then you control. What if you allow the Holy Spirit? Well, we've heard like the stories about seeking the fountain of life. Well, your mouth will literally be the fountain of life people are looking for. That is what will happen when you allow the Holy Spirit to control your tongue. And it will feed many people. Imagine that. You have the power to keep people from starving and going towards death because your mouth is a fountain of life that speaks life and feeds others. And so as we close our time together today, I've mentioned this multiple times, do you know the word? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as a friend that helps the needy, the helpless, and the tongue-tied? If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've seen his, the, what the work on the cross represents for you, you can give life to others in speaking that truth. Do you cling to the word? If you know Jesus and you're dependent on him, you will be begging him for wisdom and for his words to be the words that leave your mouth and not your own words because you can't tame your tongue. If you can't tame your tongue, then you're going to have to be begging Jesus for his words. And to do that, we need to be slow to speak and quick to speak to Jesus. Slow down, think, pray, wait. Treebeard, in Lord of the Rings, (laughs) said to the hobbits, you must understand, young hobbit, it takes a long time to say anything in old Entish. Entish. So we never say anything unless it's worth taking a long time to say. And so I would say when you slow down, think, pray, and wait, we can never say anything unless it's worth saying because we've taken the time to weigh the power of our words and discern if they're words of life or words of death. And then... <clears throat> You can ask Jesus for, and the Holy Spirit to give you discernment for when do you speak. Why am I speaking? What am I speaking? When am I speaking? What if I, what if I speak? And so uh, just as we close, when I was in the language school, and I was with the Bible school students as well, they put me in like a choir, like an anglophone that could only say, like, you don't like fish. They put me in a choir and sang French songs. And they took me to Shakutami, uh, to like sing at this church. <clears throat> and Shikudami is an hour and a half north of Quebec City. Now, you live in Montreal and you think Quebec is very bilingual, but that is false. <laughs> if you leave the greater Montreal area, you will find that Quebec is very French. So French that when this was early on in, my, in learning French, I couldn't speak uh, French all the time. So I spoke English to the other Bible school students. And I was in a Walmart speaking English to one about literally saw people turn in shock and like point right at me. They were pointing at me, speaking in French to like the people they're with. Okay, so here is my challenge to you. What if our tongues were turning heads in Montreal 
because it was flooding our streets with the proclamation of the gospel, snatching people from fire and bringing them to life, flooding our regions with encouragement, words of life. What if those that we encounter who are constantly being brutally cut, slashed, wounded, uh, who are living with broken hearts, were able to be healed, were able to experience the healing of their hearts and then be, be fed these words of life to the point that their hearts are bursting with joy, overflowing with words of life. What if that was our testimony in our city? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would chain our tongue to your spirit. I do not want to try to control my tongue. God, I pray that we would desire your spirit to bridle our tongues and to use our tongues to speak life into our contexts. And I pray that you would free us to speak these words of life and truth that are in Jesus and that people would meet you and know you. I pray these things in the only name that I can pray these things. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.